I'm Chuck Norris, and I approve this game. Between the time when gamers play with miniatures and chainmail, and the rise of the Wizards of the Coast, there was an age of advanced role-playing undreamed of. And onto the Skygas, destined to bear the jeweled crown of TSR upon a troubled brow. It was given to teach us all how to roll for initiative. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, let's get ready to rumble! Welcome to the Roll for Initiative podcast, volume number three, issue number 139. I am DM Vince sitting alongside the wrestler, DM Matt. Hello, everyone. Our illustrious mispronouncer, DM Nick. Hi, everybody. And the man that makes you barf inside your mouth that used to work at Borders, DM Crispy. It's me. Hello. <laughs> Prepare your barf bags. Because <laughs> I'm in it for the long haul. <laughs> yes, uh, Chad is off this week. He had an emergency call at work, and he had to go settle a network alarm. Aw. Yeah. Man. Happens when you're a network administrator. Or I think he's an engineer, actually. So Those mischievous kobolds and goblins getting into the network again. Yeah, I've been there, done that. That's why I hate being on call on weekends. So what are you going to do? So I we got a big bucks. wonderful show for you tonight. But first, let's turn our attention to Crispy, who hasn't been on the show in quite some time. Crispy, what have you been up to? Uh, just school, and uh, I recently joined a new game group. Um, we are playing Edge of Empire. I know some people in this podcast have, you know, qualms about that game, but it's been a lot of fun. I'm playing Edge a, of Empire. Uh, please elaborate. I'm not familiar. Edge of Empire is the new Star Wars game by, is it oh. Fantasy Flight? Yeah. Yeah. Fantasy yeah. So they got the Star Wars license on that. They one. do have the Star Wars license. It's a dice pool game. Uh, it's, it uses its own special dice, which I kind of have problems with. I think that's like not as good as it could be, but. Uh, it's fun. I like it a lot. Um, I'm playing cool. a bounty hunter gadgeteer, so I'm basically a uh, MacGyver Boba Fett. Nice. Yeah. yeah. So. I have no um, problem with the game, Mr. Hinter. Uh, it's just I didn't. <laughs> it wasn't for me. I tried it. Just didn't like it. Yeah, that's, that's fair. Yeah. Anyway, I don't care if you play with it. You know, that's your that's your problem. So. Yeah, I'm just ripping your you. problem. Oh, well. <laughs> it's my problem. <laughs> that's right. It's your problem. So, uh, Matt, what have you been doing, Mr. Wrestler or some man here? Uh, Gaming-wise, not a whole lot. I'll actually be starting up our – restarting the my uh, home group's uh, Ravenloft campaign tonight after okay. the show. So, yay, they will be uh, going cool. into uh, Mordenshire. So they will get to deal with the house on Griffin Hill. Ha, ha, ha. So they, they have that among other things. While also uh, having a 11 year old and a four year old child in tow with their group, because apparently, when leaving one domain, they forgot to leave the children they had saved. So. Yeah, didn't you mention that before? Yeah, and they can't. <laughs> they get... still got those kids with them. Yes. Oh my god. <laughs> yes, it's. I thought you were talking about like actual kids, like. <laughs> 
they couldn't find a babysitter. <laughs> no, that would be amazing if they actually had to uh, bring their children. But no, in care in game, they are, they are actually playing nanny. Usually, what happens if someone misses a week, they get nanny duty. <sighs> so it wow. kind of works. One oh. one week, our uh, cleric was out, so uh, we said he spent the time on. They actually have like a boat. Uh, teaching them about his religion. Had some Bible study, you could say. Huh. That's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. And then the thief of the group wants to have some time alone with them to make them thieves. The cleric wants to make them clerics. Yeah, nice. all so it's kind of amusing actually. Kids are gonna get them all mixed up. It'll it'll come out in therapy in the future. So Well, considering <laughs> their children their uh, parents were actually killed by uh marionettes, um, I think they were already doomed for uh, they having were killed therapy. by puppets. Yes, yeah. the pissed off yeah. Pinocchio. <laughs> no, yeah, it, they, they're actually from in the one domain. It's the where the uh, Lord is a uh, evil marionette. Hmm. So. so you have like the puppet master from those movies who did right. It's like Pinocchio. If Pinocchio was chaotic evil, and Geppetto was just this sad, lonely man who merely wanted a boy and ignores the fact that the his puppet son is murdering everyone. Well, that's comforting. Yeah. <laughs> at, at which point, uh, Geppetto in our uh, game ended up uh, dying in a fiery death. When uh, the players lit his building on fire and the half orc stood outside cheering it on. No. Yes. Only one of them is a real boy. Okay, that just sounds wrong. Yeah. <laughs> yes, there, there's many things wrong about my gaming group at the game we're running. Yeah. So, but Those yeah. poor kids. But yeah, the, the 11 year old is a boy or a girl? Girl. Hmm. Yep. So you have an 11 year old. That's interesting. I would say it could be a like a page for somebody. No, I I have some other ideas for her as the adventure progresses. <laughs> uh, yes, yes. Aspiring uh, thief or wizard. I don't... Maybe Strahd gets a little lind... Oh, are you my love? Oh, no, they, <laughs> that, that's not right. <laughs> hey, he's a dark lord. Yeah, that's dark, all right. Yeah. <laughs> that's a borderline Dragon Age dark going on there. Yeah, yeah it is. <laughs> All right, Nick. Oh, me. Well, uh, we just played the nightly campaign my friend Jeff is doing with the Hackmaster 4th Edition rules. Is that and nightly as in, like, frequency or nightly as in Nightly as in, as in knight, Okay, knights. Oh, Um Which is the one campaign that's kind of in its basis and its structure is very much like Game of Thrones. And we're mm-hmm. having a great time with it. So last night we were pursuing the nemesis of my knight errant, Lord Veld, where we found out that uh, not only is he going to get a try to get an army of giants, ogres and fire drakes together to take over the realm. He is going to a another local lord uh, marry uh, his daughter and then conveniently have her hanged for treason. So we were on a rescue mission to to, to get her uh, safe and secure, which we pulled off with some very interesting things. Uh, the <laughs> particularly going into the town where Lord Veld pulled, where he uh, ended up, 
he was in another keep outside of the town and he hired mercenaries for to uh, take law and order in, in his own hands. So the local militia were disbanded. The mayor was, you know, sent back to his home. He's no longer mayor and Lord Bell's ruling over this village. And um, so we got the thing is like, oh, how are we going to get into the keep and how are we going to deal with these mercenaries? And I'm thinking, you know what? They're mercenaries. Who's their loyalty to? No one. Whatever the highest bidder is, right? Mm-hmm. So I said, well, let's find a mercenary captain, <clears throat> make contact with him. And I basically plopped 1,100 gold pieces in front of him and said, this is for you and your men. If you uh, take the tabards off there uh, that you have and just walk out of town. He goes, I'll give you one better. We'll drop the tabards and we'll take the horses and we'll ride out of town. I'm like, great. <laughs> So that took care of the mercenaries. So we didn't have to fight them at all, which was great. But uh, we were able to find the uh, the princess, if you want. Yeah, I guess she would be. Well, she's nobility at least. Uh, she was stuck in a pit in a dungeon, basically wasting away. But we we saved her. Veld got away yet again. Oh. But uh, it's going well. My daughter, Anna, she's part of the game. Oh, wow. And uh, she's playing a monk. So... Because she's got, she's in a martial arts, does karate. She wanted to do. I told her about the monk class, first level monk. We're riding into the keep, and she did the uh, um, was it the one amazing display for level one monks. She did it on horseback, <laughs> so she's like she's performing a karate kata on horseback, and these two guys with battle axes are like stunned and can't attack. So she's like, "That's so awesome!" <laughs> so yeah, good time. Good time was had by all. Cool. Yeah, it's, it's going really well. I'm having a lot of fun with it. Lots of role playing. Good. Yeah, little combat here and there, but mostly role playing when everybody's having fun with it. Sounds good to me. I really. So have... What about you, Vince? Well, I haven't done any real gaming lately because of um, work and stuff like that. Uh, we were playing Shadowrun Fifth Edition, but uh, had to postpone that for a little while. Hopefully getting back into the game for that. But I've been working on the new edition of Mazes and Perils uh, with our group of writers now that we have, apparently. Oh, cool. So Mazes and Perils Expanded Edition will be hitting the shelves by um, North Texas RPG Con, hopefully. Speaking of which. North yeah, Texas, I was going to say, speaking of which. Or, uh, which is in June on the 5th to the 8th in DFW, Texas, or Dallas-Fort Worth, Texas area at the Marriott. You can go to North, or was that ntrpgcon.com for more information. It is, I believe, the first and original uh, only OSR-based gaming convention other than the OSR-Con, which I think might have came after them. I'm not sure. We'll have to Google that and look to who was first, but the first one in the United States, we'll say that, because I think OSR-Con is Canada. But yeah, I it think is. it is. It's in, it's in Toronto. Toronto. Yeah, okay. So, yeah, we're the f- only in a first in uh, America. Probably the first to begin with, but... I don't know. Didn't uh, Gary Con kind of start like that as an OSR Con, or no? No, I think North Texas was before Gary Con. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because uh, Gary Con started uh, after uh, Gary Gygax's death. Um, OSR Con will be having its fourth con uh, this year. Actually, Gary Khan's older. It's, it's Gary Khan's fifth year. 
Yeah, but North Texas has been around for quite a while, so. Oh, okay. All right. I think North Texas has been around since, I don't know, since Osric has been out on the shelves, so. Oh, wow. At least I think. I don't know. I'd have to ask uh, Mike about it. Uh, he, I don't know. I haven't really asked. Sorry. <laughs> but I will be there um, trying to do an episode of RFI there, so. I might be coordinating with you guys to get a live show going from the con. Sweet. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe not. Who knows? Depending on how the setup works there. But I will be there doing interviews and talking to people and dancing and singing and uh, making fun of Nick. No comment. <laughs> what? Nick, <laughs> make fun of me? Fine. Because the next week after that, I'll be at Origins and I'll make fun of you. So. Yep. And I may be at Origins as well. So. Oh, I know a couple. People. Oh, cool! Very well. Yes. On Twitter, uh, we got a, a post on Twitter. I forgot the person's name. I apologize. He was asking if anyone of us be going to uh, Gary Con, and I believe Chad said he'll be going. Yeah, to Gary. Chad will be there. Nick, you're not going. Uh, Matt, are you yeah, going? He no. Did say that. no. Okay. I so, love to go to Gary Con, but it just yeah. Yes. I don't assume Christy, Crispy will be going. No, I, I'm not going to Gary Con. I have uh, student loans. Yes. <laughs> Maybe you'll come. I'm going to be in debt until I'm 60. So yeah. let's yeah. see here. And then I just found out uh, North Texas. This will be their sixth North Texas RPG Con this year. Oh wow. Okay. Cool. So they're neck and neck with Gary Con because I, I assume that Gary Con was kind of a private con before it became public. Yeah. 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 I guess, Gary I guess like this year this at Gary Con, from what I I saw on Facebook, is they're going to have a uh, TSR alumni get-together. So mm-hmm. for all those folks who used to work for TSR back in the day, they're going to have like a just some sort of like alumni get-together maybe. So sounds pretty fun. Cool. And the So You Want to Be an OSR Superstar contest plugs along uh, with Tanker's Tavern, and Eric has uh, finally announced as of right now, but probably by the time you listen to this, it'll be on round two. That the judges have now have the access to the 330 entries for round one. Wow. 330? Yeah, 330 entries. I posted this morning as he put up a nice picture of his cat sleeping in front of some dice. I love the picture. <laughs> he always manages to find a way to put his cat in the picture, and I always say, comment on that. But got to love Eric. Uh, yeah. yeah. I see him post a lot in the Swords and Wizardry Google Plus discussion group. Yes. He always posts really good things. Yeah, he's a big fan of Swords and Wizardry. Yes, uh, that's why the rules were based off of Sword and Wizardry, probably because he's that much. But mm-hmm. yeah, so anyone, the entries, people should be getting their free PDF copy of Dagger, the RPG for kids, uh, since you submitted. I think, Nick, you submitted, right? Uh, I didn't have time, unfortunately. Uh-huh. I, could, I racked my brain, tried to think of something, and uh-huh. uh, just didn't quite come up with anything good. I submitted. I know DM Mike submitted. I don't Maybe Chad might have because he was thinking about it. Matt, did you submit? No, I did not. I was just like, Ugh. I had too much other stuff going on later that day, and I'm just like not going to be able to do anything. So Chris- we had a couple interest- entries from our show. How about you, Crisper? No, I didn't even know what was going on. Oh, Crispy. Sorry, I, I have I have to study German all the time. Sprechen Sie Deutsch? Well, you yeah, could Deutsch. You could, your entry could have been in German. Yeah, vielleicht. Yeah, okay. Well, back to English. Is, 
breakfast. Anyway, so you can go for more information, tinkerstavern.com. Put a note in the, in the uh, there. But by the time it comes out, we'll be around two, so you can keep up on it. I'm sure there'll be another one following in a year from now. It looks like this one of these things that he might want to keep doing because it's kind of fun. So why not, right? Why not? Yeah. Why not? I think that's it. We'll head into some sage advice now. Sage advice. Sage advice has been brought to you by the barf bag for crispy this week. (laughs) (laughs) Poor crispy. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, we have two voicemails and some email. If you'd like to send us a voicemail, it is 570-865-4210, the hotline. So please sit back, pull up your tray tables, and mute your microphones as we play our first voicemail. Hey, guys. I just want to bring it to your attention. I've listened to episode 137. Um, I'm part of a smaller group in Oakville, Ontario, Canada. We're a board gaming group, and we play various games similar to the board games you were mentioning. And a great resource that we use on the Internet, I don't know if you've uh, encountered it because I'm not quite finished listening to that episode, was uh, BoardGameGeek.com. Com. On Board Game Geek, there's uh, forums, and in the forums, you can actually see uh, variants of games that people either have created or have been released officially by the uh, the creator of the game. Um, for example, Pathfinder card game. In the Pathfinder card game, I believe there's like a Keep on the Borderlands remake into a card game. So I just thought you might find that interesting that not only RPG gamers homebrew stuff, but so do board game players, especially modern day board gamers, um, because board, modern board games are amazing. Um, and if, if you don't mind, anyone is in the Oakville area, come and join us at uh, the Oakville Gamers Facebook page. Uh, there is no hidden agenda. We just want to get people together to play games. And I hope you guys uh, explore board games more and enjoy them because they're really amazing what these games are coming about. Anyway, love the show. Keep up the good work, and uh, I'll keep listening. Keep uh, All the best. Bye. All right. Yeah, I do remember BoardGameGeek.com. I forgot that we should have said that last show because they did nominate us for an award. Oops. A while back. Yeah. Oops. <laughs> yeah. Well, here's an addendum to the show then. Yes, exactly. That's right. I completely and, Yeah, another addendum. One game I meant to mention on the other show about that. Great space race. Yeah. I don't know if you guys play it, but awesome, you know, pickup game. Yeah, you know? I yeah, I played that uh, a few months ago with uh Tim Kask and uh, Jim Wampler. Oh, our, you did? Yes. Yeah, so <laughs> Tim we, and Jim? <laughs> yeah. Yes. It, we played it at our local FLGS, and we had like seven, eight players going. How it, many laps did you do? Oh, I... Two or three? I think it was three, and... It could get crazy, didn't it? Oh, uh, yeah. It. We had people like spinning out and actually taking the lead due to just wackiness, and, and then hit the point... Tim was getting cranky because he had hit. He realized he wasn't going to be able to win, and <laughs> it was good times. And it was also amusing because Tim was looking over the rule book, and just like, "Oh, they need to edit, change this, and edit this. They should hire me to edit this." <laughs> <laughs> there's addendums on their website. So You're right. Yeah, like he was talking company. about that and how you had to print. There's like stuff you had to print out 
out of the package to make the game work. Oh, yeah. Um, Arkham Horror Mansions of Madness is like that. Oh, yeah. yeah. Ratted out of the box. Glorious. Cool. Word. All right. Thank you. We have our next email. Come. I mean, sorry, voicemail coming in. So let's sit back and listen to that one. Hey, guys. Uh, this is uh, DM Angelo from uh, Los Angeles. Um, just calling. Uh, I got a question, but I also wanted to kind of give a con report. Um, I, uh, here at our local convention, uh, uh, Strategic Con, actually it's called uh, Orcon, I uh, ran a uh, first uh, edition, first level adventure, um, actually written by um, Todd Hughes called Pop Goes the Measle. And um, it, is, it is actually a pretty, pretty awesome uh, um, one shot scenario. I recommend it for. That kind of occasion, but uh, uh, I'm, I don't know if I'm proud to report, but uh, the adventure ended up in a TPK, and uh, um, really, uh, it shouldn't have been, but basically all the players, uh, nobody could roll over a five, and myself, the dungeon master, couldn't roll under a 13, so anyways, that adventure, I think it's on Dragon's Foot, um, HM1, Pop Goes the Measles. Um, it's a combination of a lot of investigation, and it's got the little dungeon at the end. And uh, good adventure. Anyways, um, my question to you guys is, um, how do you guys handle that player who's a huge metagamer, power gamer, Slash annoying gamer um, in your campaign. I, I have a I have a, a kind of a sandboxy campaign that uh, I've been running with the same guys and gals for God I don't know. It's been over two years now. And um, matter of fact, they just entered the mode house of uh, of Hamlet. Anyways, um, so it's, it's kind of the same core group of about five six players. And periodically, we, we add on um, people that express interest. Um, our group is now up to eight players, and recently we just added somebody to it who is one of those types that, uh, you know, studies the, the monster manual from front to back. Um, uh, and and I, I have a, a real, real hard uh problem with care with players that can't differentiate between player and character knowledge and, and kind of spoil stuff for the rest of the group. Um, you know, they'll go into, for instance, this last encounter. Okay. You guys see coming down the hallway, a large seven foot creature with long ears, uh, fangs, wearing bits of chain mail, carrying whatever they are, blah, 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 blah. And instantly, the, the the particular person will blurt out, "Oh, that's got to be a bugbear!" And uh, oh, she's got a three three hit die plus one, and his armor class is this, blah 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 blah. And tell him that you know, I I I, I my DM my DM style is is just doesn't doesn't mess with that. So how do you guys? the expert dungeon masters that you guys are? How do you guys? I'm sure you 
ran into this problem before. How do you guys handle it? The way I personally am going to do it, I've already made my mind up, and I've had other players express their opinions. Is his gaming style just doesn't mesh with our group, and so I'm going to ask him to leave. Um, what have you guys done? Uh, I mean, I've, I've addressed it several times on the side, various, you know. So, anyways, I want to hear from you guys what you guys do about it. Um, bottom line is I, I played and have been playing this for 30-some-odd years because I love the game. I love to tell a story. I love to see the look of surprise on players' faces. Um, all those great reasons that we got into this uh, hobby. Anyways, and so, yeah, let me hear from you guys. All right, guys, keep up your work. And I uh, hope to see you guys all at GaryCon. Uh, the lineup there is, whew, and it's amazing. And, and I got into some really good games, and I hope to see you guys there. All right, take care. Bye-bye. Okay, thank you, DM Angelo. Well, I think it sounds like he already made up his mind what he wants to do, but uh, as far as I'm concerned, for a player like that, I've had many of those in my group, there's a couple things you can do. One being, I don't think maybe you should kick him out right away. I think maybe you should talk to him on the side and tell him, listen, dude, that's disruptive. Can you knock it off? It's it sounds really- like he's actually done that, and he's, yeah. the guy does it anyway, because I thought he mentioned that he's talked to him about it. So then the other method, which I've done, and it works pretty good, is... Every time that player does something, you minus experience points off his total. Mm-hmm. That's all. Yeah. You want to ruin the game? Minus experience points. Right. Put it down the side. Every time he does it, minus 100 experience points. So, I'm sorry, but in my in my um, my impression is is not only is he just not just metagaming the information. I mean, because everybody might know something about is is he acting upon it? That's the question. I it, yeah, it sounds like he is actively using metagaming to his character's advantage. Yeah. So when he said, yeah, this is a bugbear, has this much hit dice, and this is what their disposition's like, this is their alignment, blah, blah, blah. He's using that knowledge towards his character. Yep. Right. Definitely using that. Yeah, that... Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, the, that's the, a tough one. The easiest way to deal with that is just because the book says that's their stats doesn't mean it has to be their stats. Exactly. True. So... True. Or I if, definitely like think that's a good point, but I also feel like if you make them stronger or something like that, it, it feels like you're punishing the whole group for that one person's make it like mistakes. Or yeah, no, like or every, what you can do is every time he meta game, just make a little note of it, and you just subtract that from that guy's hit to hit or something. His dam, all of a sudden the creature has a damage <laughs> resistance to that character. Yeah, my my idea was if he does that, uh, if you're playing with a screen, mm-hmm. um, oh, he hit you, just yeah, just kill off the guy's characters. I don't know. I I would do the same thing he did, um, and just ask the guy to leave. Um, I definitely have a friend uh, who I don't play D anD D with anymore because he does stuff like that. He meta games the hell out of it, mm-hmm. huh? He, yeah, I don't want to get into it. It's kind of a touchy subject, yeah. but um. yeah, I think I think the guys right. You know, we've all seen at one time or another that one player who's and metagamers kind of tend to be rules lawyers too, right? Because they'll argue back with you. Well, in the book it says blah 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 blah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's... Your character knows the rules of the game world, really. 
Is that mm-hmm. how that works? Yeah. No. <laughs> I mean, your character is a is a is a in well, it's a, it's a your character is in this game world, and and the game mechanics are far beyond his knowledge and everything like that because that's 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 part of what we're doing, not what you're. And we yeah. would make fun of him uh, when that came up. Like we would be like, "Oh yeah," because your your character knows about spell levels. It's mm-hmm. yeah. Some people it's, just end up with that. I I need to win at D and D mentality. Yeah, and that's not how it should be. It's no. a zero sum game. Right. Exactly. Like everybody wins just by playing. I guess. Yes. Well, then just get rid of him from the group. Just be like, yeah, dude, in front of the whole entire group, like, dude, the group doesn't want you here. Get out. Yeah, but I think, like, Vince had a good point. If he hasn't talked to him, like, talk to him. Be like, hey, man, when you first. do this, right. it bugs the crap out of me because yeah. of these reasons. Right. It's detracting from the game because you, your goal for what you want out of this game is different from the rest of the group. You want yeah. to win D&D, whereas we're here to play an experience. And he even mentioned wanting to have, like, he's in it for the storytelling. And I, I don't know, I say what you will, like, about having different folks in different gaming groups. But I definitely think gaming style is very important. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And if you have someone who just has a different gaming style, they're just not the right fit for you. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. You have to change. You also can change creatures around. I mean, just yeah, make sure. it different, change their hit dice up and down. Right. You know, you can, don't penalize the other players, but sometimes you have to do that. Right. Or you you describe it like a bugbear, but it really has the stats of an ogre because yeah. it's an ogre looking like a bugbear. And then when yeah. the it's like, oh, well, that's definitely a kobold. I don't know. Is it? It could be. You don't know what one looks like. You're a new character. Yeah. There's First so level sword jock. You've never seen a kobold before. You might have heard of him. Yeah. And then when the kobold hur- hurdles a giant boulder at them, it'll make them think twice. There you go. Yeah, and it's not like there's a tag over his name like in like you know World of Warcraft that says kobold. <laughs> yes. Right. <laughs> when you said tag over his name, I like instantly went to a hi, my name is kobold <laughs> sticker on like his right breast. <laughs> yes. Ask me about my spear throw. <laughs> yes. yes. Uh-huh. It, but yeah, there's there's this thing about there's it's a small group of that's that's it's a small demographic of the the gaming community. But there are those meta gamers, and they don't they don't want to differentiate between character knowledge and player knowledge. Yes, you as a player know that like our bugbear example is three plus whatever hit dies and their whatever alignment and all that jazz. Does your character know that? Yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> you can actually get away with some of that in like modern-ish games. Like I know in Top Secret yes. SI. In right, t- but that's also a different genre. Exactly. So there, there's times where you can like, okay, I'll let player knowledge slip in. But in fantasy, not so much. Unless you not can so show much, me no. you've actually own a TARDIS and have went to another time stream where fairies and dragons are real. Then, yeah, then if you can prove that, then I'll, I'll let you metagame all you want. <laughs> I, I had a player like that in my group I had to remove from my group just recently in the past year or so. And uh, the group didn't like him. He kept saying, oh, that's blah, blah, blah. They're lawful evil. Like automatically he would say something like that. And it was getting annoying. And he creeped one of the girls out in the group. So I had to pull him aside like, dude, the group doesn't want you in the group anymore. You have to leave. I'm sorry. 
So and they, they get belligerent about it too. Don't yeah, they? like people would sit on the opposite side of the table. This guy because they couldn't stand sitting on the same. Like he came in, there was people on his side, and the next week he came in, it was just him on the one side of the table. Oh, oh. I was now, when he asked those sort of people to leave, they tend to get a little. They're like, "What do you mean I gotta go? What did I do?" No, he was as soon as I told him, he was like, "Really? People think that about me? I'm out. No problem." And he left. Oh wow. He didn't give any hard. He didn't like you know fight or anything or. Well, that's good. Not like the uh, jerk that we had was a previous DM in our in our game gaming group here locally in Texas. He was dominating. He punished the players. He scolded them, and two players from the group had, we all went and broke off to another group, and then we told them, you know, it might not be best for you to show up at the store anymore because no one wants to play with you anymore. So you know what he did? He took that as a threat and went to the store owner and said we threatened his life. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, and, like, tried to get us booted out, but he got himself expelled from the store. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I was like, what an idiot. <sighs> yeah, so, all right. So thank you, DM Angelo. And funny, we have an email from another person with a similar situation. Oh. This one comes from Brian H., just have a quick question about you guys as DMs and how you've seen other PCs deal with players. Hmm. That can be problem cases for the other party members of the party. Example one, a ranger telling the entire party off and walking away from the group for no good reason after being told that we need him and he can help us out in the adventure. He still walks away. Example number two, this is apparently the same person. A dwarf fighter telling a cleric that he doesn't care about the cleric's god and doesn't even want to be healed. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Example okay. three. Yeah, yeah, that's weird. <clears throat> After just rolling up new characters, the thief instantly pickpocketing the other PCs. <laughs> Number four example. The problem PC also has no interest in role-playing or learning how the game really works after five years sitting at the table, and they only want to roll R-O-L-L combat dice. There are other smaller offenses and have come have all come from the one particular player that is in our group. I was just wondering how you guys have dealt with or seen other players deal with these problems. Enjoy the show. Keep with the good work. P.S. I hate crispy. And this is all from the same... <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> God. <laughs> I'm just trying to bust crispy balls, that's all. Uh, so for the first two examples, my thoughts went to, is he a problem player or just a really good role player? Yeah. Because, like... I, I could see someone having a, a dwarf who's like Moradin only and the cleric of like Paylor or whatever. Yeah. Uh, it's Greyhawk, yeah. I guess. Uh, yeah, goes to sure. heal and was like, no, you're a false god. I don't sure. want your heathen magic. <laughs> I could see that working really well. Or like sure. the ranger walking away. I don't know if that was in character or not in character. I'm guessing it's not in character. I think it's the character. third example. I don't know. And this is from the same player? Yeah, that's what he said. And they've dealt with it for five years. How about three and four, Crispy? Uh, For three, that's kind of... There's always a thing when you have new players and they're playing a thief and they just want to steal everything. And you're just like, come on, guy. We need to get this adventure on the road. (laughs) It's expected, I guess. Uh, I play with a lot of new people. One of my favorite things to do is introduce, like, D&D to new people. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, like, in in our Edge Vampire game, we have someone who's playing a thief. And they just want to steal everything. 
And I don't know. Uh, as for number four was only wanting to roll combat dice. Right? Yeah. 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 yeah that – I can't say anything about that because like D&D can be played a lot of different ways. And I don't think any way is more valid than any other unless it's like different than how I play. But that's a different story. Um, some people don't like role play. Some people don't like who yeah. I, I don't remember which podcast it was because I've just been on all of them. And oh, somebody was somebody was telling a story. I want to say it was save or die about the old days and when they first started in like the 70s. And all they did was kick in doors and slaughter stuff. And that was, like, how they had fun. Murder hobos. Uh, we did it on an episode of Critical Wits as well. Like, we brought it up. Like, killing fake stuff with dice is fun. It's... Everyone has to get it out of their system. Yeah. Yeah, sure. And some people won't roll, like, R-O-L-E play. They want to R-O-L-L play. And that's that's okay. Like, there's different play styles. But if it doesn't fit for your group, like talk to them. Right. But the funny thing is about that email is it's like different play styles from the one character over the years. Yeah. That's the that's the mind boggling thing. It's like I would expect that from like one player over the years, like one play style. But it sounds like this person's like been all over the map. Yeah. Sounds like <laughs> Well, he... they'll like it and it almost sounds like, well, you know what, they didn't like me playing this way. I'm just gonna fling dice. Yeah, sounds sounds like he's no, just sounds an, like they're just yeah, obstinate. They're being, yeah, they're being obstinate. They're being a little yeah. obstinate baby. And like five years is a really long time to put yourself <laughs> through that. Right. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's Maybe time it's, for an intervention. Yeah. It's lack of players and you had no choice and one of those situations. Yeah, that's true. I, I guess the question is, is a bad gaming session better than no gaming session? Yeah. Um, so my personal feeling is No. I, no. Yeah, I would rather have no gaming session than a bad Just session. A bad yeah. yeah, absolutely. I always thought quality over quantity. Exactly. Let me see. Number one was a ranger telling the entire party off and walking away from the group for no good reason after being told that we need him and he can help us out in the adventure. So that is from a player, I mean, a character point of view. Oh, yes. Yeah, and that's another thing that you get with, like, that's a very new player kind of thing. Uh, I hate... When you try to get the group together and you don't start with the assumption that they all know each other yeah, and you introduce them and there's always that one dude who's like, oh, I have to be aloof and not help out because my character doesn't trust these people. And it's like, I want to get to the adventure. I stop being a, a diva. <laughs> yeah. That's why when I start my games, I'm always just like, everybody knows each other and we're not going through that BS. Yeah, it's – yeah. Ugh, it's yeah. the worst. Yeah, that's why I have character a character creation session where we work all that stuff out as that's we're right. making our characters. That's what, I'm, that's what I'm doing for my next campaign. We're going to have, like, player session zero. We're creating characters, and we're going to establish how everybody knows each other. Yep. <laughs> yep. But well, it, it kind of worked out when we did Book of Sorrows, Crispy. Everybody kind of just meshed together when we did that group. Yeah. Well, I tried not to be aloof as well, like, personally. Um, I like you took over the entire show pretty much. (laughs) I don't know how that happened. I'm sorry. (laughs) Yeah, I I think the key to having those sort of sessions where you want to just game playing game, how everyone meeting each other is everyone take the approach that you do when you're doing improv. Yes, 
You always, you never say no. You yeah. always go yes and add to it. Yes. Yeah, that's actually a, th- a rule that I use for my DMing. Like, I have a rule of just not saying no. Uh, for most things, of course, there's like, oh, I want to shoot an arrow at the moon and <laughs> deflate it. Cause it's okay, made out of... <laughs> yeah. yeah, and it's just, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or like, okay, yeah, you can try. Right. It's Absolutely. always yes, but never no. Yeah, roll the twenty. I don't care if you roll a twenty-seven. You're not going to hit the moon, dude. Well, you hit a moon, but it wasn't the moon you were aiming for. There was a man over in the corner who dropped trowel. That's right, and his name was Trask. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you succeed, but that's but no moon. <laughs> I guess on the, <laughs> I guess this guy with the email sounds like yeah, he's this this player's being obstinate. I guess yeah. you got to tell him to go. Because he's like while he's like all over the map of what he wants to do as far as role playing. Right. Either he's going to get totally into his character and just not do anything with the party, versus on the other end of the spectrum, I'm just going to sit there and roll combat dice. Yeah, you should do have the big bad Take one. <laughs> you should have the big bad come out of nowhere, rip his head and spine out of the character's body, and then eat it, and then throw him out of the group. There it's you go. Metal. Yeah, I like it. <laughs> There you go. No, I'm kidding. Just talk to the person. If it obviously in probably five years, you've probably said something to them. I hope. Yeah. If you haven't, at least talk to them and say your problem, dude. Right. Get out. If it's a situation of players and you're just longing them to sit there because you need the extra player, just it's not worth it. Just have someone else play yeah. another character. Right. Right. Or put an NPC character in there in his place if you have to. I mean, unless it's like two people and that's one of the two people. <laughs> yeah. Kind of well, screwed. they did make solo modules, so you can even run solo campaigns. Like, even if it's a matter of not having enough people, you can find people. Like, I I think we did a podcast about this at some point. I don't know. Uh, so it's all blurred shows. together, crispy. Yeah, everything blurs together. Um, a lot of people still don't understand what D and D is. It's been a, it's it's fortieth year this year. Yeah, and there are people who have never played or don't understand what it is. Um, which is really interesting to me because everyone knows like video games. Yeah. But D and D is still fairly underground. Um it's underground. Well it's, it's still still thought of as the evil satanic game. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's or it's, it's not as game mainstream. where all those geeks and nerds play. Yeah. They all dress yeah. up. Right, yeah. They they know They've heard of Dungeons and Dragons, but they and don't they understand. And they have a preconceived notion of what it is, oh, but it's sure. oftentimes not correct. Right. So, like, go to your office and just be like, hey, do you guys want to play this game? Like, you can get more people. I I guarantee it. Yeah, you'd be surprised how many people have actually either played or heard of it and want to. Right. So, yeah. yeah it, like, it was like I discovered I was at a half price books looking in the section, and I saw one of my coworkers there looking in the RPG section as well. I'm like, oh, you gamed? Yeah, I game. Oh. Unfortunately, he was moving to San Antonio shortly thereafter. So I could. Wow. But it was like he had been gaming for years and like started on like second edition. It was just like, wow. never coming cool. up. Sorry to hear that. Yeah. It, it, he actually even had his kids playing fourth. So anyway, everyone has different tastes, even if they like crappy. Oh, <laughs> I like that game as a game. Yeah, it's wow. as long as it wasn't called D and D. Yeah, it's really no, it's a great tactical miniatures game with some role playing on top. Yeah, I I like doing cool abilities and stuff, but it, like for a go to role playing game, yeah, like yeah, 
It, it, I don't like it when I have to use a six-page flow chart to make my character. So. All right, all right. Let's not bash other editions. That's not what it's about. Besides, uh, it's recently departed. We need to be nice to it. Yeah, let's let's uh, let's let me put my DM Brian from Thacko's Hammer hat on and coordinate here. Come on, guys. Let's not make fun of anyone else. <laughs> okay. Be the politician. Yeah, so that's our emails for this week and voicemails, rfistaff at gmail.com. Head to the website, rfipodcast.com and click on contact us and you can fill out the form in case you're not near your email, which I don't know why you wouldn't be, but just in case, fill out that form. Uh, go to our Facebook page, Facebook slash rfipodcast and um, org, where you can find all our wonderful podcasts, including the... Dead Game Society podcast, which has debuted its second episode as of this recording. Third episode is being edited, so we should see that soon. And uh, that's uh, dgsociety.net if you want to go directly. They are searchable on iTunes, finally. And also Crispy Show, Critical Wits. Crispy, what's your address for that? I forget. Criticalwits.info. Okay. Where he should have a show from uh, 1927 coming out soon. Uh, Right? Mm -hmm. Crispy. That's right. We're going to talk about them live. A little, uh, I got nothing, actually. I can't. I got nothing. This bit's dead. Anyway, so yeah, let's head into uh, our next segment. Typical of all the evil creatures in the world, I like to find one with table manners. What are you kidding me? I've spent years cultivating the worst table manners on the planet. Table manners. Okay, everybody, and table manners this week we're gonna do a review of a product and then we'll get later on to maybe a larger scope what this product is about and what we're going to talk about is a product by a group called Mobi- mobius adventures and it's from mobiusadventures.com we'll put that in the show notes and it looks like it's going to be a series of different types of I guess, I don't know if you want to call it, I guess dungeon dressing. Yeah. And brick by brick is what the series is going to be called. And we're going to start with their uh, first in the series called Doors. And basically, uh, what, how you can make doors interesting in your dungeon or pretty much anywhere else. Give a, if, uh, you know, where, uh, what this door done, a door is made of, what, uh, you know, what sort of hinges, all sorts of things. So uh, let's get right on into it about this product by Mobius Adventures. Just want to quickly jump in by it's uh, by Brian Fitz Fitzpatrick by in Mobius Adventures, and it's highly recommended on uh, RPG Now. A lot of people mm-hmm. like this because it not only does it give you the steps of just creating a door, but it gives you everything like the purpose of the door, the location of the door. Who made the door, the materials, how it's opened, the conditions of when you open it. And it gives a big adventure, uh, like, well, not big adventure, just a big description of how things come together. So you can see how to do these one through six steps in this small little PDF. So I thought it'd be interesting to take a look at this because we're going to be start looking at some OSR created material in the field. Mm-hmm. So if you guys have products out there that you want us to review on the show... Just give us a holler at rfistaff at gmail.com, and, and if it's related to first edition or can be translated into first edition easily by us, give us a shout-out and uh, attach 
your product there or a link that we can uh, grab your product and we'll let you know when we can put it on the show if if it uh, falls into the guidelines. Yeah, this one definitely does. It's System. pretty much ed- edition neutral, which yeah. is good. Yeah, you could use this with anything. Yeah, you can use it with anything, but um, right from the beginning, um, they talk about you know why have a, a a little supplement about how to create doors. Well, you know it it's more window dress. And I don't say window dressing. It's a door. It's window dressing. No, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but it adds more to what's just you know a, a portal you got to go in and out of. It yeah. could, it makes things a little more interesting. Yeah, it's definitely and, more interesting than the roll a d6 to see if the door is stuck or not. Right, <laughs> right. And it's, there's all these – there's a few little charts, and there's a, also added to this – I think was it uh, – how many pages is this PDF? 14 pages? 14. 14 pages. There's also a flow chart. And I'm going to kind of refute to the uh, – uh, go to the flow chart because it's, it's just perfect. Basically, you start with the purpose of the door, you know. Mm-hmm. Is it th- built to keep things in or out? And this could be all totally um, you know, randomly determined. So you just flip a coin. Is it for heads out, tails it, uh, in, whatever? And then um, part of that in its purpose is, is it you know, made to keep noise out? Yeah. Was it designed to be used for one security? Time? Things like that, right? Yeah, is it for um, just decoration? Distraction. Um, is it uh, for safety? Yeah, distraction. So you kind of build upon that. So you have your purpose of your door. Then you know where you know located in the wall that it, that it's in. You know where is it? Is it ground level? Is it is there a small, medium, or high sill mm-hmm. of of the of the door? What's the shape of the door? And you got some interesting shapes. You got arched, oval, triangular. It's shaped like a keyhole. So you got some interesting door shapes that you can make. Uh, you have uh, to randomly determine what you want. Or, you know, you can always pick and choose if you're the dungeon master. Mm-hmm. You can always pick what you want. You got the make of the door. Who was it made by? Yeah. You could make uh, an interesting backstory to it. I, I'm kind of like looking at this, like this would be really cool stuff. For example, if you were going, if you were in a city campaign and you had like a, 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 a like maybe a high leveled um, wizard and you're making a interesting door to the wizard's alchemist lab, you know, this is one of those things you could definitely use this for. If you want to make, you want to make that door interesting and maybe a little bit, uh, not not just interesting, but um, kind of uh, how how would I put it? <laughs> it's definitely a, maybe a force to be reckoned with in a way. Right. <laughs> it's it, it'll make it a challenge. That's I guess the word I'm looking for. Yeah. So you have the maker of it. Was it a like an artist or a slave? Was it a mason or a prisoner? You know, a whole bunch of you know. And the reason what it was made was it made for protection or. Was it made for um, like it was an honorable thing to make? You know, maybe it's um, I do whoever like, craftsman that made it. Maybe it has very elaborate carvings. There are some really good examples that he gives under each step when you look in there. Yeah, I do like the one that was a, this was uh, made by uh, a prisoner forced to work for occupying forces rigged this door to collapse after opening a certain number of times. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, the players won't know this, but as a DM, you have that little background like, hey, maybe this is the time that'll happen or this is what right. happens. Yeah. yeah. It's just a few sentences too, you know? So the the tables kind of help you with your imagination going along. It's like, okay. So like uh, the one example he has, it was built by a stonecutter and reason made legacies as a master stonecutter built this door with his own hands, personally selecting each and every stone and leaving his maker's mark on every detailed carving. So mm-hmm. makes it kind of interesting. So you definitely got a stone door there. And then got, random. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> and everything is random. There's all random charts under each step. So you don't have to sit around and pick it. You could just roll it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you could do either all. You could roll it or you can pick it wherever you think yeah. might be best. And then you got the materials. And you, of course, all your standard woods that would be made for a door. You got oak, teak, mahogany. If I had a door made of mahogany in a dungeon <laughs> or someplace like that, I guarantee whatever group I had, they would take that door off its hinges. Now, <laughs> actually, I door. think they would take some of the doors a little further down on the list. Diamond door. Yeah, diamond. Emerald rubies. Rubies made of gold plating. Yeah. You know. Considering my group one time stole chairs. You got paneled. Go ahead. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, my my group steals everything. If it's not bolted down, it's going they're they're taking it and it's going on the on the wagon. They always have a wagon. Yeah, my group (laughs) one time stole dining room chairs because they were really nice chairs. Yeah. So, so yeah, yeah they they, they would gladly steal a door. Sure, absolutely. If it was made by mahogany or redwood, if it was obsidian, that they're like obsidian. That's a cool looking door. We're taking that. Good luck. <laughs> but you have the construction type on them. So you got like single pane panel. I thought that was kind of interesting. A folding door. Yeah. So you can have like a folding door in your dungeon. Mm-hmm. So that would be pretty cool. So and some of the examples that he gives is what was this? Uh, a uh, diamond door with bars. So it's a diamond bars block this doorway. A pressure plate on the opposite side appears to be stuck with a rusty dagger holding the door locked securely. Hmm. So, so some interesting things there as far as, you know, the materials they have made the door. It goes um, next. And then they go into opening. Mm-hmm. And uh, once the you know, go on with that because I've been babbling enough. <laughs> the opening of the door, I tell you how it opens like a swing hinge, a roll, a fold, a slide, a twist, a screw. It sounds like a song I just made up. Yeah. And then you could do if it's automated, yeah. annual. I mean, if it's barred, it has a locking key, a hidden switch or button, or it's unlocked. So some examples would be, let's just pick a fold manual bar. You roll that. A light pine folding door blocks the hallway before you. It appears to fold accordion style to one side of the door frame, barred on your side of the door with a rotten oak board. You wonder why anyone would try to stop someone from leaving this room. Hmm. That's just. I ex- found that entry really interesting. I thought that was cool. Yeah. Yeah. And then you move on to the next step is with the condition of the door. Uh, has it been damaged? Is it impassable? What's been happened? So you can see you can roll in the charts and get a rusted closed door that's been sitting that way for eons or it's impossible to tell how long an example is as you approach the arch doorways the golden plated bars reflect your torchlight you can see where someone has attempted to melt the bars exposing the steel beneath the shiny exterior exterior 
Obviously, centuries old by now. Not only does it appear to be locked, but someone has shoved a spike through the keyhole. So there's an example of what you can get from those charts. Mm-hmm. And then he finally goes and says, now number step number seven is putting it all together, and he shows you uh, like seven, like one, two, three, four, five. He goes through all the steps and then gives you what the description was. So he does the purpose, the location, the maker, the materials, the opening, and the condition, and then gives you a big description of what he's rolled up. He puts his thoughts in there of why he picked this and why he picked that, as say as if you were the DM. I won't spoil that whole section for you because it's an interesting read. But he, oh, about he, the description I, he finally came up with? Yeah, I won't do yeah. any of that because he pulls it all together and you're kind of like, oh, cool. Yeah, it is really cool. It's like two short paragraphs and it's great stuff. And then he goes into doing you an example of a dungeon with door number one for the dungeon and then – he does the whole stat out for that door number one, and then he does door number two. As You could probably use this for your adventure. It sounds like a really good setup for some creepy monster hiding inside of some type of dungeon somewhere. Mm-hmm. And then he has an appendix at the back of it which actually pulls the door apart and shows you where the rail of the door is, the jam of the door, the, the panel with little pictures and diagrams so you can understand what a door looks like and what he's describing. Yeah, all really- the different – Bits and pieces of what makes up a door that you might see in a dungeon. And and after that, he just gives basically his plug for his own website and his system neutral supplements where you can find more, which is MobiusAdventures.com, which is uh, pretty interesting. Yeah, Yeah, it is. Overall, um, I'm going to have to definitely say uh, for using in my game, it's going to be very valuable to me, especially for those big, bad you know, doors I want to put in. You don't have to do it for every door unless you want to be <laughs> anal like that. But no, I would say this would be for the special doors in your campaign. You would use this. Yeah, exactly what I was thinking. You're going to use this in those really special areas like that alchemist lab I, I, I gave, for example, or uh, maybe uh, a doorway. The the one example I always uh, – the one thing I was just thinking of out of my head, you know, and the, those doors that have the runes in Temple of Elemental mm-hmm. Evil. You know, yeah. that lockout Zutmoy. Oh, spoiler alert. There you go. Uh-oh. But, but anyway, it, it yeah, it's I would think you would use that in those sorts of situations. Some in our area or going into an area that is going to be special. So that's but, how I would use it. I can definitely use this. Probably my new oncoming campaign where I believe the majority of the party is going to be thief or thief multi-class mm-hmm. types. So definitely making the doors more interesting to those sorts of players will be really up their alley. Right. Uh, considering when you have lots of thieves, uh, they want to check every door no matter what it mm-hmm. seems like. So th- this will be handy to make it see- give that little potential of, well, he didn't really describe the door in all that detail, so there's probably nothing there. With this, you mm-hmm. can just quickly rattle off something that makes them think, huh, he knows a little too much about this door. We need to be leery. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it's definitely a great little product. And right now it's even on sale at Drive Through RPG. Just looking at that. Yeah. But by the time this comes out, it'll probably be back at its regular price of $1.99. Right. So even oh. full yeah. price, worth it. For yes. $2, you can get all this description for your super fancy doors in your campaign. Well worth the uh, shelling out two bucks. I I would definitely pay for this. I don't know, guys. That's cutting my king-size candy bar fund. (laughs) Oh, no. 
You just got to wait a week for that king-size candy bar. Okay, yeah. well, if you split the cost with the rest of your gaming group, there, you, you might have to downgrade to a regular size candy bar. Uh, Bob, you owe me uh, 25 cents. Yeah. Uh, Darren, 30 cents. <laughs> yes. There you go. You're already on your way. There you go. You it's know like what? This... I was just I was just thinking about this um, PDF of the of this of the doors thing. Yeah, I wonder if you can modify this and maybe use this for other things like chests. I would, I would definitely say so. Yeah, but yeah. except you use the moving parts, maybe. I, well, actually, you probably could. Yeah, yeah. I, I would. I was just looking through it. Like some of this might be useful. Like if you want to make unique kind of chests. Yeah. So. So it has more than one usage. Yeah. 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 I mean, really, from, from the material standpoint, you could use that for just about anything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Any sort of furniture or uh, even building structure. The the concept of having a diamond uh, treasure chest greatly amuses me. Oh, <laughs> you couldn't break into it. No. That would yeah, be great, wouldn't it? it? <laughs> yes. I like this uh, product, I guess. Because it's a, it's a great springboard. Um, it reminds me a lot of the Dungeon Alphabet by Goodman Games. Yeah, that was fun too. Yeah. Um, like like you guys said, I wouldn't use this for every door. But no. it also it made me stop and think. Like, I've never ever thought about having doors of different age in a dungeon. Near of I. Yeah, it's something you just gloss over. But it's like, of course they would. Like one door gets used too much and a hinge breaks or... Maybe they have a break-in and somebody broke down the door, so they have to build a new one. I never thought of, like, the maker of the door. How could that be important? Yeah. I'm like, oh, well, that's how it could be. (laughs) You could almost even just randomly generate a door and use that as an exercise in uh, encounter creation. Yeah. I've created this door with a rusty hinge that opens inward and okay, what would be on the other side of the store? That makes sense. It was constructed by slaves out of some cheap pine, and its hinges are uh, rusted. And then, and you could just start going from there, and who knows what you could come up with just yeah. by using this as like a spark. Mm-hmm. Even riffing off of that, like you you think encounter, it's you fight some monsters or there's a a trap. But coming up against like a really cool door that has like a puzzle to it or something like that. Oh yeah, yeah. Be an go. encounter in itself, yeah. Absolutely. Word. So, so how many dragons do we give it? Uh, that's safer dive. I know. We do swords here. Yes. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm gonna say four and a half swords out of five. How about you, Nick? I would definitely yeah four and a half swords out of five. You betcha. And Matt? Yeah, I'm going in that four and a half as well. I mean, it's a great little product that does what it sets out to do very well. And CRISPR? I'm also going to go with the four and a half swords out of five, uh, especially when you take into the into account that it's the same price as a king-size candy bar. <laughs> yes. <laughs> For the like price of a king-size yeah. Kit Kat, you can get doors. <laughs> this is something you can use over and over again. Right? Yeah. yeah, it is. I can't, love the the how utilitarian it is. I also really like that it's like completely system neutral. Yes. Um, it's uh, you could use it with basically any fantasy game, not just D and D. And I, I, I think 
Like, I don't even think this is necessarily an OSR product. No. No. No, this is a product for any system. And I'm actually going through some of Mobius Adventure's other products. They have one, a series called Little Spaces, one on shipwrecks. And oh, for, wow. And it's basically cool. this type of uh, product, except it's in, about shipwrecks. Hmm. So, and that's only like 86 cents. And so, yeah, there's this all kinds of stuff. They have uh, books on fantasy names, scary basements. I was just looking at that one, too, for 86 cents right now on sale. <laughs> scary basements? You mean every basement? <laughs> <laughs> all crispy. But Christopher Walken's basement. It's a lot yeah. of dead things. Wow. <laughs> right. Anyway. <laughs> Go home, Christopher Walken. They do, they do have their blog at MobiusAdventures.com, and I'm looking at their blog right now. So they do have some things coming along the way. So they have one coming with Story Seed Design. We'll get you – hmm, that looks like that would be interesting. I have to read that article. Oh. Well, they, they also have another Little Spaces Fancy Meals. Yeah. <laughs> so when the players go into the tavern and order food, you can actually generate – this is what they have for a menu. That's cool. We need that. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And, and I could when I went to the to the website and all the different stuff, I, you could tell that this this is a labor of love, love, you know? Cuz when you read about Mobius Adventures, you'll understand why. Yeah, definitely the whole setup of what happened with the company and everything, but we'll yep. we'll let you reading you that. Mm-hmm. I feel like I have something else made by Mobius Adventures. You might. Yeah. Um I don't know what it is, but I've seen this before. I would definitely like to see more of this kind of product, just in general. Um, I have talked about it before. But I hate preparing. I just I hate it. I hate preparing. It's the worst part of D and D. Yeah, uh, for me at least. Uh, and having stuff that act as, as springboards would kind of make it go a little bit better for me. Right. Yeah, th- these products remind me of things that could be inserts in like AEG's Ultimate Toolbox. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, except these go into whereas the Ultimate Toolbox has a lot of stuff, but it's very general and it doesn't go into a lot of depth. This can actually take you uh, deeper into it and give you more detail than that would. So, good stuff. Yeah, RPG now has a, a ton of really good or drive through. I, I guess they're pretty much the same site. Yeah, yeah, they're the same company, but for whatever reason, they still have two separate yeah. branding. Hmm. And they're no different. Just the color and the title is just the difference, as right. far as I can see. Yeah, because they used to be two different companies, and then they merged, and I don't know why they still keep the two companies separate. But the they, libraries are. It's like a. Seattle's Best and Starbucks are owned by the same company. Right. I had to click. They are? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, mine totally blown. (laughs) I had to click on a game called Dude Run. I don't know. It was just sitting there staring at me. (laughs) Dude Run is a competitive storytelling game of reality TV paranormal investigation. So I had to see what that was about. Give them that a little, sounds awesome. <laughs> yeah, give them a little plug. The, the name Dude Run just sounds awesome. And it has gotten four out of five stars, and it is for four bucks as a PDF. So, <laughs> Did you read over here the Little Spaces Fancy Meals? Yes. And a couple of blurbs. I love them. Yeah. They're great. 
this is some really cool stuff. Sweet. Anyway, uh, so that's the, the deal. Uh, the only thing I would have liked to see more is maybe some pictures along the way during the creation of maybe just like an example door after he rolled it up. That would have been kind yeah. of... I mean, I understand you probably didn't want to tap an artist and have to pay somebody, but that would have been kind of cool to see like a star door or a keyhole door or something. You know, just some little picture would have been kind of cool. Yeah. yeah, the artwork used in it was actually a public domain stuff found off uh, the Gutenberg project. Mm. So. I mean, I'm sure he could have tapped someone on DeviantArt and said, listen, dude, you know, do you mind donating some art? Most 90% of those artists are like, yeah, sure, no problem. Or they could have just used Glenn, Glenn Alstrom. Yes. We will we will get Glenn in all the projects. Now. Yes, every project ever. We'll we'll just book him without telling him and just say, here's the stack of art you need to generate now. <laughs> He'll go, What? <laughs> well, I've got him involved with the new Mazes and Perils books, and I've also got DM Corey donating some art as well for the new book, so you know, let's move it along. Anyway. I think we should go on to our next segment. I don't know who you are. I don't know what you want, but are a very particular set of skills. Skills I've acquired over a very long career. Skills that make me a nightmare for people like you. I will look for you. I will find you. And I will kill you. And now we're going into DM rules, and we're just going to talk about, now that you have these descriptions... For your these doors that are all fancy with all the details of the hinges, the material, the craftsmanship. Now, how do you handle this from a gaming perspective? Especially when your players probably want to kick it down and break it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how would you want to go about, like, maybe distinguishing between by the uh, different types of wood or metals? Like, I... For some reason, I find it would be find it highly amusing if it was like a pine door. They go and like hack it with their axe, and next thing you know, their axe is covered in sap and sticky. Kind of would get in the way of uh, chopping a little bit. Um, or if you have that diamond door, you know your players are going to want to figure out how to steal it. I'm to because yeah, that happens a lot, especially with my group. They would probably steal it, then figure out a way to make it like a boat. <laughs> Make uh, it like I'm, a boat? <laughs> yes, they would. Okay. I'm pretty sure diamonds don't float. No. They, I'm no, like, <laughs> mineralogist or geologist, I guess, but pretty sure diamonds are not buoyant. Sink. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. If you listen to the Villagers of Monty Python, little pebbles float. Same with bricks Very and small stone. rocks. Yes. Cider. Yes. If the diamond door weighs as much as a duck, then it's yeah, then it wood. And it's a witch. Yes, and then you witch. must burn it. Burn it. Burn it. But, uh, but we're coming to dealing with these. Yeah, but what about, like, you know, yeah. not just, you know, the doors, but walls and floors and whatnot, and all the materials that they could be? And Yeah, I mean, the probably the most quickest way to deal is if you just go to uh, page 80 of the DMG and look at the saving throws for the various materials. That'll mm-hmm. give you a starting point if you want to use them if they feel the need to like start hurling magic missiles or fireballs at them. Mm-hmm. But, but I don't know. I've just never been a huge fan of using the, that saving throw chart, especially when it comes to dealing with inanimate objects that aren't actually on player characters. So... 
it's like how would like you guys handle if like say there was this stone door and all they had were like their axes and swords and they wanted mm-hmm. to like bash it in okay yeah well, i would say okay what's your open doors roll <laughs> yeah <laughs> go ahead and try but would you make a distinction between the different material types with that open doors? Maybe have a modifier saying – I would. I would have a modifier in mind. Yeah. I would. Absolutely. If it was made of stone, To just wood, open it or to bash it in? Bash it down. Right. Yeah, yeah. I'm talking about bashing it down. Yeah, there would be some modifier that I would have. If it was metal, stone, wood, yeah. made of feathers, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. It, the, the I, I kind of just go with – I logic it. So, like, if you're going to use an axe against a stone door, (laughs) you're going to break your axe. Yes. Yes. And I like making them – I would make them out of unusual substances, too, like pudding. (laughs) A gelatinous cube door? Yes. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Now you're you're speaking my language. Yes. Rust monster door. Ooh. Ooh. (laughs) Chucky fried chicken door? Yes. Mm. Crispy. Really? Oh, a living wall door. That would be cool. That would be cool. Yeah. Yes. I would also, or you make it out of a substance that appears like something else. Give you an example. Yeah. You got a door. It's made out of wood. It looks like it's made out of, you know, maybe it's made out of oak. Yeah. Maybe out of pine. Not sure, but it's some sort of hardwood. At least you think it is. Right. It's actually made out of hollow uh, what's a made out? Of, it's a hollow balsa wood. Oh, oh. so yeah. they're trying to ram through the door. Guess what? They're going to go, go right, right through. through. You burst through it's like Kool Aid Man hit on the other side. Yes, that that's probably something in one of the Grim Truths traps books. Yeah, I have all four of those. Yeah, which <laughs> that would actually be a good way to uh, deal with the group that wants to break everything. Just get those books and steal some ideas. Make a what? Make a uh, door out of balsa, and they ram through it. Have a hundred foot pit on the other side, like I said, and see what happens next yeah. time. Or you could do, you could uh, kind of in the same vein, pull like a wily e. coyote mm-hmm. and paint a door onto the wall. <laughs> oh, the illusionary door! There you go. It's an illusion. It's they they try to pick it. It doesn't work. Nothing works. So we're going to bash it, and they just run into a wall. run into a wall. I would think that the characters would figure out it's a painting on the wall before – well, while trying to pick the lock, hopefully. I mean, it's, it's or magic. Painted, they have to roll the disbelief. Yes. No, it's, an, it's painting. an illusionary door that on the other side is a sphere of annihilation. Oh, that's very Gygax. <laughs> yes. yeah. That would be something Gary would do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then, of course, you'd want to also maybe figure in – how rusty the uh, hinges are. Maybe as they go to try to bash it, it actually falls on them because the hinges mm-hmm. give way before the door itself does. The the collapsing door would always be amusing. So you have that for doors. What about, you know, walls, ceilings, and floors? You know, what could we do with those as far as, you know, materials? Well, first, when it comes to walls and whatnot, I would first think, what type of craftsmanship are we talking about? Is this the mm-hmm. slave with the breakaway wall? Or is this the artisan with the mortar reinforced with a steel plate behind it brick wall? Right. Also, also taking into account how thick is the wall. Yes. Right. 
Right, because you never know what your players may want to actually start tunneling like they're in Sing Sing or something. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm again. I'm thinking uh, like when I, I'm doing the one campaign with Temple of Elemental Evil. I, if I remember, like on the dungeon levels for the walls and everything, when they're talking about when uh, Gary, I think Frank too, when they wrote that, one of the things they talk about is for the construction of the dungeon, the walls and what they're made of, but also uh, airflow and drainage. Right. If I remember correctly, there's like every few feet, there's like a, there's like a, maybe a, I don't know if it's a steel grate, but, uh, you know, there's an opening for water flow. So the, so the dungeon doesn't flood. Yeah. Right. And if you had stone floors with water on it, that would get they get rather slick if you try to move fast. Next thing you know, you're taking pratfalls as you're trying mm-hmm. to rush through this stone floor that has a little bit of water built up on it. Right, right. A lot of yeah, like the material, especially in marble too. Oh my gosh, marble when it gets wet, good luck. Yeah, <laughs> right. And you can also use that as a storytelling thing as well. If it's like a low light situation where the players really can't see all that well what the floor is. You could be you're walking along and it's like okay it's stone you can feel it then all of a sudden you feel like you're walking on dirt yeah and it'll be like um what's going on here yeah because certain types of materials there they might be a little more porous than others like like brick is rather porous right it'll absorb water like crazy mm-hmm. marble on the other hand it repels it so yeah right and and then you could also think just for the construction. Why is this area marble? Because marble back then is rather difficult to work with and expensive. Very expensive, yes. So if there's marble floors, they're there for a reason. It's just like, mm-hmm. hey, we got some excess marbling around. Let's use it for a floor. No. I can tell you one thing marble is resistant to is acid. Yeah. <laughs> maybe there's a black dragon around who knows right. it's a black yeah, dragon it. lair with acid yeah. and those pools of liquid on the ground are actually acid yeah not water you, you could uh you could use it as a trap and just have a marble floor and then have some kind of like shoot that shoots water like maybe it's slanted in some way <laughs> like a like a marble ramp or something like yeah that. like a hallway that leads down Mm-hmm. And a pressure plate that triggers like a a flow of water into it, so that they can't keep their balance, and it just becomes this giant chute. It becomes yeah. a medieval slip and slide. Yeah, yeah, it does. There you go. There you go. Yeah. Exactly. Hmm. What about like other materials? I guess like I get like I said, brick in limestone. Limestone's rather porous too, isn't it? Right, but also isn't limestone would also erode rather well. Yeah, over time. So. Mm-hmm. So you could so, get rather uh, – ha- perhaps there's some water flow and you could actually talk about the wearing into the limestone of this water and they could be like, hmm, where's yeah, this water I, coming from? I could think of, yeah, instances like that because you, you know, some of us have been in caves and spelunking in our day maybe Yeah, you know, in a real world and oh. a lot of these caves – where there are paths through they're they're not flat paths no no they're they're there's going to be wear and there's going to be some wear it's going to be a kind of a slight divot into the ground you know right and perhaps one of those areas is weared a little more than others and is a little unstable 
And mm-hmm. when the large uh, paladin in full plate goes stepping on it, it starts to give way. Yeah, there you go. Mm-hmm. So you could start making the floors and terrain a hazard, not an intentional one, just one uh, that's a side effect of just existing. Right. Yeah, this is where it's like it's all coming together with the doors and now we're talking about walls, ceilings, floors, whatever. It's where the dungeon itself, the physical environment of the dungeon is becoming it, it becomes a it becomes a hazard, right. has its own little quirks, almost has its own personality in a way. Right. Because like your walls and doors if there could be water leaking through one of the walls. Mm-hmm. Just a little drip or a little one wall is damp or water's flowing under a door and the bottom of the door starting to wear away. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there's lots that can be done and you could take a dungeon, strip all the encounters, all the stuff out, just describe it empty and then yeah. build upon it. You could almost you could almost make the dungeon itself without any encounters be a challenge in itself. Right. Just getting through this dungeon with nothing in it other than mm-hmm. it being existing and yeah. have that be a challenge. That would be interesting. Especially considering at that point the players would probably be searching every nook and cranny wondering there has to be something in here. Yeah. That but but damn it, we've found so many pits and we've had we've had acid poured on us and <laughs> little did they know the uh wizard that was using us as his lair actually moved out a few weeks ago and took all the stuff. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's actually vacant and the only thing in yeah. it is a couple squatters. His yeah. tower was like <laughs> it was deemed condemned by the duchy. Yes. <laughs> he missed the mortgage payment, so he got evicted. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's been vacant for the, for the past couple of years now. Right. It's but like, rumor has it that there's something in there. Right. It's like when you go and look at photos of, like, abandoned buildings. or I, I really like looking at photos of abandoned amusement parks. They, like, fascinate me. Oh, yeah. That's that's a really cool we got place. Hey, we got one right up the road from me. Yeah. Uh, Lake Euclid? No, well, actually, uh, Jaga Lake. Oh, oh, yeah, Jaga Lake. Yeah, is yeah. abandoned. Yeah, yeah, the the uh, they only have the um, the water park side now. Right. Oh, man. The amusement park side's been closed for years. Yeah, because when Cedar Point bought it, they ended up closing the amusement park side. Yeah. Ghost Town now. It pretty much is the only side that works is the Jaga Lake Wild Water Park. Yeah, hmm. yeah, the, and that's a seasonal thing. So yeah, there's one not too far from me, Americana Amusement Park. The parking mm-hmm. lot's actually a RV dealership, but they still have the front gate up, and you can see satellite photos of the old buildings. Most of the rides have been removed, but I think maybe one of the coasters might wooden coasters may still stand. Yeah, one of the wooden coasters is still here. Supposedly, it went up for auction, and whoever. Uh, that got auctioned off to they they reneged on it and it's been rotting there ever since which is kind of sad yeah because it's a very old uh, wooden roller coaster but kind of with our topic it's where a place like that becomes an adventure in itself right maybe yeah. like an abandoned village mm-hmm. and I have it- a, a friend who 
frequently goes to Centralia. Do you guys know about Centralia? No. In, in like central Pennsylvania. Um, it was a coal mining town and they had a fire. Ah, in the that's mine. where the, the coal fires. Oh, okay. yeah. And it's still yes. burning underneath. Um, and they had to evacuate the whole city. It's then that's been going on for what, 40, 50 years now? That Something longer? like that, yeah. But he goes there all the time and just like walks around and explores. Yeah. But yeah. Because even the environment itself yeah. can be a hazard. Right. Yeah. Maybe they built this dungeon and then they realized, oh, wait. We hit this coal mine while excavating, and it lit it lit on fire, and it's still burning, and that's yeah. why it's empty. <laughs> they dug too greedily, too deep. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah, lots that can be done, and you could even look at real-world examples of nature overtaking abandoned structures for just ideas to add mm-hmm. to the ambiance of like a dungeon or an yeah. ancient city that's been abandoned or a tomb. Yeah. Just so much that can be done that do- doesn't involve monsters or mystical, magical things. Just nature itself can be pretty creepy and threatening when it wants to be. Yeah. One thing I've always wanted to do is uh, take the floor plans from the mansion from the first Resident Evil. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, and use that as an adventure and just put Ooh. people in that and like even have it filled with zombies and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. man, that'd yeah. be good. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's like I've wanted to use H.H. Uh, H. Holmes uh, Castle, the uh, serial killer when he built. <gasps> oh, yeah. I I, I, I've him. got the floor plans for floors two and three, but I haven't been able to find floor p- plans for uh, the first floor that had like the shops and whatnot on it. Hmm. So, but yeah, that thing was laid out like a drunken uh, DM use the uh, random generation chart. When you look at the layout and the room structure and the random doors that aren't actually doors and the hidden passageways and everything. Wow. So very interesting stuff. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So some food for thought for our listeners. Hopefully we can, uh, get their imaginations a churning and you know email us you know send us a send us a message on our forums call us and see what you've come up for your for your dungeons to make the doors and the walls ceilings floors a little more interesting and almost make the dungeon itself the adventure besides all the things that might be in it yeah download it tell us how you what your thoughts of it are we'll leave some feedback for the author we appreciate it and uh, look at their other products as well. Uh, again, if you have anything you want us to review on the podcast, rfistaffgmail.com, or, and uh, hit us up with what your product might be, and we'll get back to you. Absolutely. Or call us 570-865-4210, the hotline, and leave us a voicemail expressing whatever issue you'd like to express. Dwarven miners are standing by. <laughs> with barf bags. <laughs> <laughs> So that's going to wrap up the show this week. Crispy, we appreciate you stopping by once again. Thanks for having me. Sorry yeah. that I alienate your fans. <laughs> those are just the weak stomach ones. So there's not many of those. Uh, stay tuned next week because we're going to review another product, but we're not going to say what because we yeah, it's going to be good. Oh, hey, I don't want to ruin the surprise. It's oh, going to be It's going to be fun. It's going to be mad <laughs> telling you. Oh, yeah. Anyway, keep it original. Keep it old school. Good night, everybody. Good night. Bye, everyone. The Roll Furnished If Podcast.
podcast is a production of Wild Games Productions in association with d20radio.com. You can visit us at rfipodcast.com or contact us on our forums at osrgaming.org or even by calling us at 570-865-4210. This podcast is produced for entertainment purposes only. All other uses are prohibited. And remember, if your magic missile spell doesn't automatically hit, you're playing the wrong edition. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Roll for Initiative. Post-show? So, welcome to just a little wrap-up after the show for us to chat. If you don't care to listen, please tune off now. This is nothing really... So saw it off. Yeah. Wow. Jeez, Nick. I mean, wow. I mean, wow. So wow. You, so you want them to not listen to this and listen to Save or Die? Why listen? Oh to- no, no, no. Listen to us. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Uh, listen to us. If this is mostly just general, just chatter, we're going to add to the end of the show talking about D and D next because Crispy is more experienced in it, and some people yeah. will have questions. So uh, let's give the floor to the man that holds the record for most barf bags from people in the audience, Crispy. <laughs> Uh, so we were talking before the show about uh, people's experiences in this podcast. It's Vince. It's Vince. I was trying to sugarcoat things, but Vince was like, man, I ain't even like D&D Next. Also, Vince is from like Compton, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> I am. Um, yeah. You didn't know? Oh, you or- didn't know? So we were talking about like the skill system. Uh, I know, Vince, one thing that you don't like about D&D Next is it uses the D20 rules. Nah, the D20 rules gives me a headache after a while. I I agree. Like, in the show, they were talking about the Pathfinder card game or board game or something like Mm -hmm. that. I was like, I didn't know that existed. Yeah. Because I'm so god dang sick of Pathfinder that I have not kept up with that game in... Oh, wow. You used to be a big... Guy. I know. I I mean, do you remember? I made a forum post on osrgaming.org slash forums. You should go there. <laughs> Thank um, you. Okay. Yeah, you're welcome. Uh, I made a forum post about how I'm like I'm just sick of Pathfinder. That was like 2010, maybe. Yeah. Wow. I I have not played Pathfinder. I won't play Pathfinder. No kidding. Uh, yeah. I just there's so many rules in that game. Like, and if that's your thing, that's fine. But for me personally, I want something that plays fast. I want something that I can modify on the fly. And you just I feel that you can't do that. Um, And I I definitely agree with Vince that it gives me a headache because it's like, oh, what's the rule for that? You can't make it up because there is a rule. And we talked earlier in this show about like the rules lawyers and power gamers. And it's just like, oh, I'm going to make something up. Oh, that's not how it's run. You need to do it this way. Because the book says it this way, and it's like, no, I'm just gonna. Yeah, do it this you way. can't exchange experience gold pieces for experience points and just take that out. Yeah, it's. Uh, 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 Nick, stop it now. I, I'm just saying. I'm just throwing that out there as an example. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, one thing I like about D and D Next uh, is how they have the skill system in the in the earlier playthroughs or the earlier playtests mm-hmm. and the yeah. final playtest is they're divorced from ability scores. Yep. So it's it's just like I'm good at this thing. And granted, like perfect world, I wouldn't have any kind of skill system. But for right now, it's sort of just like mm-hmm. it's a good in between. They did have an earlier play test where they had skills tied to ability scores. And yeah. it's just it's not the right way to go. Um, 
one thing I'm really interested in, uh, and I've talked about this on my show, is the simple characters. Um, you get ability score bonuses, and I could see people not liking that, but um, I generally play a character to play a character, not necessarily have a bunch of like cool abilities. I mean, it's cool to have abilities, but right. that's not usually my focus. That's more of Tim's focus. He is very much into the mechanics, but he, you know, he has a he has a background in game design. That's a thing Tim, that he likes. Tim, aka your co-host of Critical Wits. Yeah, Tim of Critical Wits. Critical yes. Wits, rather. Um, I I'm more in it to play a character, and not not saying that he's not, but he gets more out of optimizing, and mm-hmm. I I hesitate in saying optimizing because min maxing. Not necessarily min-maxing, um, and being definitely efficient. not power gaming. Being efficient, yes. Okay. And one thing that he likes to do is make characters that have like a gimmick of some sort. Um, there was a time where he made like a, a in Pathfinder, it was a sorcerer ninja hybrid, um, <laughs> and it his gimmick was he could breathe lightning and then turn invisible at will. Jeez, yeah, it's low pan. <laughs> yeah, yeah, basically. He and that's that was the whole shtick of this character. Oh, um, what a... <laughs> yeah. Um I don't know. I just I I'm excited for D&D next personally. I think there's a lot of really cool stuff. I do have some some things and it it's a lot of D20 things. Um Well, I have to ask you a few things of uh, mechanics related then. Is combat it's D20 yeah, it is D twenty. It's roll a D twenty, like Add. it's adding. It's it's ascending armor class. Yeah. Okay, yeah, you're not um, dealing with that wills and all that stuff. What about saving throws? Saving throws are actually based on your ability scores. So if you need to do something reflexy, you do dex. If you need to, so there's not it. It kind of harkens back to like old school D anD D, where you have like rods, staves, um, turn to stone, that kind of thing. Um, but it's a little more broad. Um, and we yeah. talked about this on our last D&D Next playtest show, which is actually, as of this recording, the most recent mm-hmm. um, episodes that's out. People want it to go back to the D20 saving throws. And we're just like, no, that's stupid. No, like, stupid. Yeah. And p- because with – they still have uh, maxes for ability scores. In... Yeah, it's uh, 25, I want to say. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, it may actually be less than that. I'm not I think it's sure. like 20. It depends on race and like mm. 22, 20, maybe for 22 you? sounds. Tw- I think 22 is right. I think you're right. Yeah, because it, it's a lot lower. So you're not going to have 26th strength uh, fighters running around that are going to make every strength based saving throw you could possibly throw at them. They've actually capped some of the uh, level uh the uh, attribute based level advancement by just capping the attributes yeah, you can't go above 22 um and i think that's really cool like so i i like in this game that they're trying to appeal to everyone um and granted when that happens like some people are gonna get left by the wayside yeah um but, but you I, just I, can't you can't make everybody satisfied right. yeah you can't make everyone satisfied i i really like one thing about this is that like old school D, you can pull things out or graft things on. And I've had this debate with, with my co-host for years now about um, like 
adding to a system versus taking away. I think it's much easier to add to a system, whereas he, my understanding of it is, he feels that it's actually easier to take things out. And in D20, it's just, you can't do it. You you cannot do it. Right. Because so many things are tied. Yeah. So you can't things. remove things. I mean, you can, but it gets wonky. Right. Oh. And like, you can say, oh, I'm not going to use this thing. But depending on what it is, it, it can be really intrinsic to like the system itself right with d20 everything in the system was figured into the math of your hit dice and your to hit your damage every you were expected to have x amount of magic items by a certain level i know and that's what i hated about it because it was all about being fair and balanced and just you know, there was the sense of randomness was completely gone, in my opinion. Right. I, now, it sounds like in D&D Next, they're trying to reintroduce that element of randomness and uncertainty. They're trying to make it so you can go either way, depending on what your preferred game style is. Yeah. Um, I really like I this. want rigidly defined areas of randomness and uncertainty. Well. <laughs> Then that can be achieved because awesome. all, all, all their subsystems with like themes or feats, they're optional. You don't yeah, have to exactly. use something. And it's not intrinsic to the math of the game that they exist. They're well, just, I gotta, well, that kind of brings up the, char- uh, the character classes. So what are they like? I mean, you got your core four, I guess. You have your core four and then you have like your druid. Druid is actually pretty badass. Uh, our friend Rudy played. You're a badass in first edition. Yeah, it's <laughs> Druid. I think has always been badass because yeah, oh yeah. In third edition, there is uh, Druidzilla is the term that optimizers use. Zilla. <laughs> yeah, Druidzilla because Druids are just co- they're combat monsters because you get yeah. your your mount and stuff like that. Um, so you have those. They're gonna try introducing some stuff that they introduce from later things like um, they're gonna have like warlock as a thing. Mm-hmm. And within each class, you can there's there's ways you can specialize. I guess like you can have an archery fighter. You right. can have okay. um, you can have a, a wizard who is an evoker, right? Okay. And that's actually something they're bringing in from like fourth edition. Yeah, okay. um, it, they don't they don't have the same like leader, controller, defender. Right. Yeah, they don't have the roles, rules, but. But they he, definitely have a lot of things from 4th edition. Right, and yeah. I, I'm okay with that because I like that game as a game. Like, mechanically, I really like 4th edition. Um, it's a fun game to just roll dice in and kill stuff and have cool abilities. Right. It, it makes for great dungeon delves. Yeah. Um, I will say, in 4th edition, there's a lot less freedom to make things up. Like, the way your powers are are flavored and the way their text works and the way the mechanics work and stuff like that, you have a lot less leeway to improvise, um, which is a problem. Mm-hmm. But like like I said, that's not as big a deal to me because I'm not in it for the mechanics. Well, 4th um, edition worked best, I've noticed, when I played Castle Ravenloft for the board games. It worked really, really well with yeah. playing a full, a full solid game. Yeah. The game by itself, didn't like it. And that's fair. Like, yeah. I... I like it as a game, and I, I want to stress as a game, not necessarily as a role-playing game. Right. Um, mm. 
I have a question about, well, what about races? How How is that all structured? So you have, uh, it's kind of how they're doing it with classes as well. You have an overarching type. So elf, dwarf, dragonborn, halfling. And then they're kind of doing the second edition thing, both in regards to race and class, uh, where you have more specific things like uh, you can be a, a high elf or a wood elf, mountain dwarf or hill dwarf. See, I don't uh, like the whole dragonborn thing. That never sat well with me. Uh, that just that just seems like munchkinism. It's different strokes for different folks. Dragonborns are sort of like they're the new orcs, I guess. To me, like they're the they're the perfect blend of like a. Uh, Do they have gnomes? Yes, which I don't like. I hate gnomes, you guys. You don't understand. Um, and oh. in fact, if you listen to the uh, newest D&D next episode. I believe it's that one. I have this huge tirade I went off on how gnomes are completely unneeded. And I could see people thinking that for Dragonborn. And it's just, I it's a different Dragonborn kind of fantasy for different people. Because I think it's for that, I think that's tailored towards the Munchkin player. They want something that's, oh, this is so awesome. I could play something with dragon blood in it and then it's going to be uber cool and powerful and I could kick people's butts all day. Well, they're not even really that powerful. Like, no. they're breath weapons. You can pump, like, in 4th edition, you can okay, pump Okay, hold on. Forces. Now, hold on. Oh. You're giving a player character race a breath weapon. It's, yeah, I, I could see... the problem point. I got, man. It's, <laughs> it's like a D6. Yeah, it's like basically a glorified magic missile. A single yeah, one that never gets better. But, no, I don't... No, it, it, it's what it is. And <sighs> the thing is, like, I think the mindset of, like, deriding someone for wanting to play something cool is the wrong mind. Like, I I know that's not what you mean, but I'm always really wary of that. So, like, I play this game to be awesome. Um, that's what I like. My, I'm a student. Like, I go to class every day, and I write papers. And before that, you know, I worked this crappy job that I hated. So, having an escape outlet of escapist fantasy, where it's like, I'm not like the best thief in the world, but like I'm a master thief who can do these things. Oh, and that's fine and dandy, but you know, I'm just trying to see, okay, now where's the challenge? Yeah. And, and that's the thing. That's, that's the game itself is the challenge. Like, Oh, you're, you're a master thief. Well, here's the, the caper. Well, at first level, you shouldn't be a master. Yeah. 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 That's definitely, that's I think a different discussion, like building up, to being awesome, and D and D is actually D and D next is doing something like that. I hope um, so. <laughs> so they're not going to have like zero level characters, but from level one to I think three, level three is really the new starting point for like now you're badass. Um, and so level one and level two is where you're just starting. You're getting your footing, right? Um, so it, I, I see like some people have complained that like, oh, why don't you just make level three the new level one and you can totally do that you can start it off well, at level three because no one should start off as a badass well it's it's a different kind of gaming like i my personal group we don't play level one anymore because we've played level one enough huh? um and we've played enough with each other that we all kind of trust each other so we just start at level three anyways um huh? because we want to have the ability <laughs> Well, we like we want to be able to go out and have adventures and like do kind of cool stuff. 
Um, Why can't you do cool stuff in level of adventure level first and level one and level being two? level one sucks. Like oh being darn, level one, you got to work for it. Oh man, that's terrible. I have to work for it. <laughs> have to work for it. Oh man, yeah, I'm exhausted from imagining things. It like I said, it's just it's a different kind of play style. If you want to st- like, I've wanted to do a level one game for a while because we haven't done one in a while, but there was. There was a time where we would just we would start at level one and we would like be kind of shitty and not we would have to fight the same things over and over and over again. And it got boring for us. Some people don't get bored with that. That's fine. So uh, our sweet spot for beginning is level three because you can still fight the level one monsters and you can fight more of them Um, and you can have kind of more intricate encounters and stuff like that. And you can go and you can fight like five hit dice monsters like uh I'm trying to think. I think like Manticore. I would have to disagree, though. Yeah, I'll just say I disagree because I think you could still make it interesting and challenging even at first and second level. You can. Um, but we we also kind of want to get through like the establishing our characters kind of thing. And something that we do for that is we always have a practice session. Um, so what we'll do is we'll create characters and then we'll run like a, a. short adventure to see how they play before we lock things in. So it's like, oh, you know, I, I didn't really use this ability. I think I'm going to swap it out for something. But you only get one chance to do that. Okay. So it's sort of like it sees how our team dynamic works. It, it lets us get into the skin of our characters. So we have more of a an idea of how we're going to play them for the next however many months. Okay. And it, that works for us. Like some people it doesn't. Um, and this is my, my like gaming group that I game with all the time, like that I've been gaming with since 2009 or something like that. So, I mean, we've gone through a bunch of different campaigns. We do these things. Um, Mm -hmm. but I like that D and D next has this thing that I've already kind of done naturally built in. Um, and you can start at level one if you want to have, instead of having like the zero level grinder, uh, from like DCC or something like that. You can have your I level one character. I don't like the grinder thing. I think that's just. I also, it's an, but it's annoying and, and pointless. I'm sorry. I don't want to play four characters at once and be wrapped up in that. I, I apologize to the DCT fans, but that's just my thoughts. Yeah. I, I think the appeal of that is you're not attached to any single character. You, so they're all kind of uh, shallow. You don't yeah. role play them a lot, and because the whole point is you send as many in as possible and just have a lot of chaos and death, and whatever's I, left standing becomes a character. I enjoy making up a first level character, and I enjoy bringing him through the the dungeon. And if he dies, he dies. I mean, that's part of the game. That's how yeah, I. Right. Drago. Sorry. I don't keep four characters in like the movie of you know three hundred going against the thousands of Persians. I mean, come on. Right. Speaking of which, coming out. Yeah, it's just, yeah. Some people that's not a it's something that they are interested in. It's not desirable. So yeah, now, I looked at that when different I saw different strokes for different folks in the book, and I was just like, meh. I, I would pass yeah, that. And, and you don't have to play it that way either. Yeah, exactly. So that's a purely optional so, thing. All those people are like, oh my god, and they're throwing things at the their radio or their iPad or whatever they're listening to it on. Say, I can't believe you said that about my favorite game. Now I'm going to turn you off. Well, we told you not to listen. <laughs> Yeah, it's and it doesn't saying that the the whole game is bad. It's just that one particular oh, aspect. Just that one. Someone you don't like, you, and it 
Yeah. Do you have to do the grinder? No. No, not yeah, no absolutely so, I mean, not. Yeah, exactly. And that's the cool thing about like D&D Next is like you don't have to start at level three, or, but you also don't have to start at level one. Okay. And that's been a thing in every version of D&D. Like, yeah. You have to start at level one. Now, uh, do they still have that whole kind of like, I, I, I think you might answer this, like, you know, when you get to a certain level, you should have had this many average no, encounters they, and all that jazz. They uh, well, it depends on how, like, it kind of. Like, it, it's in there to an extent. Encounters have so many experience points and you have... Like, oh, this is an easy encounter. This is a hard encounter. This is a medium encounter. Uh, Encounter balancing right now is really wonky, and it's my least favorite thing because I have accidentally killed people not meaning to. Um, Well, that's the other thing is I I don't understand why they even had to make a mechanic to classify as easy, medium, or hard. It's just the the amount of experience points that it's worth. Like, oh, if you're fighting... In the hands of the DM itself, it's like, I should... should For the lazy DM. It's for the lazy DM. It's it's not that hard to do, Vince. Well, I look at it as a tool as to see, like, okay, I want to have them fight, like, a Drider and a Drow Cleric and their their kobold minions. Or, or not kobold minions. Like, a like deep gnome minions. They're Swerf okay. Nephilim minions. Which maybe okay. that's not right because I think Swerf Nephilim are actually good. But you know what I mean. Um, so you can have like a, a boss guy who is like your big bad wizard and his minions that they fight. And you can make it hard. But you have a range of like, I want them to get through this with maybe having one or two casualties. Um, but I don't want to like TPK them. So it's sort of, it's a guideline. It's, it's not really a hard and fast rule, and I think like my my because yeah, I would is, totally ignore that rule. I'd just make the encounter the way if you see fit. Yeah, and you yeah, can. It, it, it's really and just like can. here's how much experience points is an easy encounter. This much is a medium encounter. And this much those is are hard. more guidelines than hard rules. Then yeah, okay, yeah, I can live can with just that. Plug in the numbers basically. It's like oh, I need you 3, can plug in whatever numbers you want. It's just like yeah. okay, th- here's what it. This is what it could be. So if you want to use it as a guideline, go ahead. But as a DM, I have some. You do what you want with any addition you want. Yeah. It's it's yeah. like I have 3,000 experience points. That'll be a really hard encounter. Like one of them is probably going to die. What's worth 3,000 experience points? 15 goblins and a, a drow. Bam. That's probably not right. But... You know Nick is an experienced DM to look at that fifth edition or ne- are they calling it fifth or next they're just calling it D. actually they're mm-hmm. not putting in any kind of edition number right. which like i i know people are going to be like eh. but the thing is D edition numbers you're gonna have to bleep this out are basically and the reason why is like fifth edition of D is actually the rule cyclopedia yeah and fourth edition of D, like <laughs> D D 40 is the fourth edition of a D. it's just all the numbers are like really arbitrary and the titles are weird. So they're just, I think they're just going to call it D and D and let the chips fall. Yeah. They're a mess. They're a mess. Yeah. That's true. Well, I think wizards of the coast screwed it up. was their fault. So they did actually. Uh, yeah. When they released D and D 3.5 also like actually a D and D 3.5, um, or third edition, I guess they cut off the advance because they didn't want to, discourage people who wanted to get into the game so it was it was a marketing thing but it kind of makes sense um but 
Man, what were we even talking about? Make it your own game. That's yeah. what we were talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, there's a lot. Like There are rules, of course, but everything is really, really simple, and you can just bend it to however you want. And nothing is so intrinsic that you can't just tear it out if you don't want it. Um, like, so in a in a, an adventure a couple months ago, I had them fight a Baylor, but none of them had magic weapons or cold iron weapons or anything like that. Um, and they still won. I, I killed one of them, but you don't have to have like a plus three weapon to fight a demon. So you don't have to have cold iron. So what you you're just saying? Do less damage. Everything relies on everything anymore, and you can rip and pull things out without having to worry about breaking the game. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, so that's enough. We summed it up there. Good. That's what Nick was looking for for an answer, actually. Yeah. So. yeah. Good job, Crispy. Thanks. We appreciate your review. <laughs> I I like this game a lot. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. When did they have a release date? Gen Con 2000? I think it's July. Oh, July. Is... Or Gen Con? Maybe. I think they're going to shoot for Gen Con. Like, originally, I believe it was July of this year was the original release date. But... I think I read somewhere that they're going to try and go for Gen Con. Oh, I'm back. <laughs> Didn't know you were gone. Yeah, I got dropped somehow. I, I got to get going anyway. So Yeah, no problem. No I should probably take a shower and go eat food. So. Yeah, so this will end our wrap up. So uh, goodbye. Good night. Good night. All right, bye, everyone.